Amen. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all, and it's good to be around God's Word again this morning. And this morning, we are returning to the book of Joshua. This time last year, um, we worked our way through the first half of Joshua, chapters 1 through to 12. And this morning, we're going to pick up again at chapter 13. We will work through um, to the end of the book of Joshua, and that will take us up to just before Easter. So if you have a Bible there, please turn to Joshua chapter 13. We'll read together. Joshua 13 from verse 1. This is God's word. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years. And there remains yet very much land to possess. This is the land that yet remains. All the regions of the Philistines and all those of the Geshurites from the Sihor, which is east of Egypt, northward to the boundary of Ekron, it is counted as Canaanite. There are five rulers of the Philistines, those of Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron, and those of the Evim. In the south, all the land of the Canaanites, and Mera that belongs to the Sidonians, to Aphek, to the boundary of the Amorites, and the land of the Gibelites, and all Lebanon, Toward the sunrise, sunrise from Baal Gad below Mount Hermon to Lebo Hamath, all the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon to Mesrephoth Maim, even all the Sidonians. I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. Now therefore, divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. With the other half of the tribe of Manasseh, the Reubenites and the Gadites received their inheritance, which Moses gave them beyond the Jordan eastward, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. From a rower which is on the edge of the valley of the Arnon, and the city that is in the middle of the valley, and all the tableland of Medeba as far as Dibon. And all the cities of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, as far as the boundary of the Ammonites, and Gilead, and the region of the Geshurites, and Machathites, and all Mount Hermon, and all Bashan to Salika. All the kingdom of Og and Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth and in Idre, he alone was left of the remnant of the Rephaim. These Moses had struck and driven out. Yet the people of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Machathites. But Geshur and Machath dwell in the midst of Israel to this day. The tribe of Levi alone 
Moses gave no inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord God of Israel are their inheritance, as he said to him. And Moses gave an inheritance to the tribe of the people of Reuben, according to their clans. So their territory was from Aroer, which is on the edge of the valley of the Arnon, and the city that is in the middle of the valley, and all the tableland by Medeba, with Heshbon and all its cities that are in the tableland, Dibon, and Bamoth Baal, and Beth Balmion, and Jehaz, and Keremoth, and Mephath, and Kiriathim, and Sibma, and Zarath Zehar, on the hill of the valley. And Beth Peor, and the slopes of Pisgah, and Beth Jesimoth, that is, all the cities of the tablelands, and all the kingdom of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, whom Moses defeated with the leaders of Midian, Evi, and Rakem, and Zer, and Hur, and Reba, the princes of Sihon, who lived in the land. Balaam also, the son of Beor, the one who practiced divination, was killed with the sword by the people of Israel among the rest of their slain. And the border of the people of Reuben was the Jordan as a boundary. This was the inheritance of the people of Reuben, according to their clans with their cities and villages. Moses gave an inheritance also to the tribe of Gad, to the people of Gad, according to their clans. Their territory was Jezer and all the cities of Gilead, and half the land of the Ammonites to Aroer, which is east of Rabbah, and from Heshbon to Ramoth Mizpah and Betonim, and from Mahanem to the territory of Debir. And in the valley, Beth Haram, Beth Nimrah, Succoth, and Zaphon, the rest of the kingdom of Sihon, king of Heshbon, having the Jordan as a boundary to the lower end of the sea of Chinnereth, eastward beyond the Jordan. This is the inheritance and with the people of Gad, according to their clans, with their cities and villages. And Moses gave an inheritance to the half-tribe of Manasseh. It was allotted to the half-tribe of the people of Manasseh according to their clans. Their region extended from Mahanaim through all Bashan, the whole kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, and all the towns, Jair, which are in Bashan, six cities, and half Gileads, and Ashtaroth, and Idre, the cities of the kingdom of Og in Bashan. These were allotted to the people of Machir, the son of Manasseh, for the half of the people of Machir, according to their clans. These are the inheritances that Moses distributed in the plains of Moab, beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho. But to the tribe of Levi... Moses gave no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel is their inheritance, just as he said to them. Let's pause for a moment and pray and ask 
for God's help as we come to think um, on his word this morning. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we are so thankful again to be together as your people um, around your word. And Father, as we come to your word this morning, we, we long to, to know you more. We long to have a better grasp of who you are in all your gloriness and splendor and, and holiness. God, we long to be changed by your word this morning. We long to leave here different than when we came in. So, Father, we ask that you would speak to us this morning um, by your Spirit as we return to Joshua again and consider all these, these places and inheritances that you give to your people. Father, may we be assured again of your faithfulness to your people through all time. May we be assured that every promise of yours has come true to us in Jesus Christ. Father, lead us, we pray, this morning. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. For a moment, I want to just recap the main themes um, in Joshua and really help us to try and find our bearings as we pick up here at chapter 13. This time last year, we said that we could sum up the book of Joshua with the phrase, God is faithful. God is faithful. God keeps his promises. What God says, God does. God is faithful. We can think right back to Genesis 12, God's promise to Abraham. And God promised Abraham a land, a great nation, and blessing for those people in that land. And we, we come to Joshua and we're seeing evidence or proof of that promise fulfilled. Um, Joshua chapter 21 verse 43 is, is a good summary really of the book. There we read that the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give their fathers. And they took possession of it and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Then we read, not one of all the good promises that the Lord has made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. As I said, the book of Joshua is evidence or proof of God's faithfulness as he brings his people to the land that he promised to give them. Joshua really concludes the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And the name Joshua appropriately means God saves. Joshua is, is the one chosen by God to lead God's people into the promised land and to receive their rest through his obedience to God. But we look in Hebrews 4, and Hebrews 4 speaks about a, a greater rest for God's people than what we are told about in Joshua. And so Joshua, as a figure, really points us to the greater leader, Jesus Christ. Jesus also meaning God saves. 
the one who would lead God's people into a greater land and a greater rest through his perfect obedience. The book of Joshua can be divided up into four words. You may or may not remember this. So that what we've looked at so far, the first word cross, that is chapters 1 to 5. That was crossing the Jordan River from the east side to the west side. So that's cross, chapters 1 to 5. Then take, chapters 6 to 12, that is taking the land that God is giving them. So we cross, take, then divide... That's chapters 13 to 21, where we are beginning this morning. And in the final word, serve, in chapters 22 to 24. So we sum up again, God is faithful, serve him. God is faithful, serve him. We we see this theme over the entirety of the book, but we also see this theme brought out Um, time and time again in individual chapters and sections. Now, chapters 1 to 12 were full of action and drama and excitement and, and adrenaline with battles and victories and great displays of God's power. As we saw God fight for his people, giving them land in central Canaan in the earlier chapters, and then giving them land in southern and northern Canaan from chapter 9. And as God fought for his people to give them what he promised, his people's role was to be obedient to God. But we come now to chapters 13 to 21, and it appears all the drama and all the action is, is fading. It seems that that we're moving into much more mundane territory as Joshua is now given the task of distributing and allotting land to the various tribes that make up God's people. Now, God had already given instructions for, for this process to Moses in Numbers 26. We look back there, we read in Numbers 26 that God says, Among the tribes, the land shall be divided for inheritance according to the number of names. So to a large tribe you shall give a large inheritance, and to a small tribe you shall give a small inheritance. Every tribe shall be given its inheritance in proportion to its list. So in other words, the larger tribes will receive more land, the smaller tribes will receive less land, but each tribe will be provided for according to their particular needs. And again we see in Numbers 26 that all of this will happen by lot. So what we have in chapters 13 to 21, which we come to think about this morning, are various lists what land is distributed or apportioned to which tribes. There are four words throughout the book of of Joshua that that repeat um, time and time again. 
But these four words come from one Hebrew word. Now, those four words are possess, inheritance, lot, and then divide or portion. And all these words are in reference to land. Now, this one word in, in Hebrew, it appears more in Joshua than anywhere else in the Old Testament. And within Joshua, this word appears most in chapters 13 to 21. So it's significant for us, and it's important we understand what it is saying. Now, in chapters 1 to 12, the main use of this word was for taking possession of the land, driving out the enemies. So, for example, if you just look now at chapter 12, verse 1, if you just scan to there, we read, Now these are the kings of the land whom the people of Israel defeated and took possession of their land beyond the Jordan. So it's about taking land, fighting, conquering. Okay, so that's one use of that word. But from chapter 13... That word is mainly used to refer to inheritance. And if you even just scan through chapter 13 now, you will see that word repeatedly used. Now, the main difference between taking possession and inheritance is that inheritance says the land is now officially theirs. The land that they possessed is now their inheritance. It belongs to them. They own it by right and it is theirs to settle in and enjoy. Of course the land belongs to the Lord. He has given it to his people and it is theirs by right simply because they belong to him. God promised he would give the land, and he is doing it. God is faithful. And Joshua is given this role of dividing the land and giving to each tribe what is theirs. And in many respects, it is a mundane task, particularly if we compare to Joshua's role in chapters 1 to 12. And as God's people now move into more mundane life, their role and their responsibility remain the same. They are to be obedient to God. We have followed them as they crossed the Jordan, invaded land and conquered kings. Now the question is, will they continue to persevere in obedience and to serve God faithfully? I appreciate that's a long introduction to chapter 13, but I want to take chapter 13 now under three points this morning. Um, God's promise in verses 1 to 7, um, God's warning in verses 8 to 13, and then God's encouragement um, in verses 15 to 32. So firstly, God's promise in verses 1 to 7. Look at verse 1 with me. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years. 
And the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years. And there remains yet very much land to possess. There has been so much work done, chapters 1 to 12, but there is still so much more to do. There still is a lot of land to possess and to take. There still are battles to be fought and won. And that land that is still to be taken is outlined for us in verses 2 to 6. Now, when we began Joshua last year, I said that that the place that God's people were at um, reminded me a lot of Craig Avon Baptist Church. In Joshua 1, God's people had they've been given a, a new leader and a fresh start. You may remember that, that everyone over the age of 20, they had died in the wilderness. And now this younger generation of God's people, they have been given a chance to go again. And as we have been thinking about revitalizing these past couple of years, it's like we have were given a fresh start and a chance to go again. And a new start often brings lots of excitement, lots of anticipation, and lots of, of change. So, for example, our membership has changed significantly over the past um, few years. And, of course, we're so thankful for that. We're so thankful for what God is doing, for the people that, that he has given us to get on board with us in this vision for revitalization. We've been encouraged, we've been built up, and and we've been spurred on as so much has happened. But you know what? (laughs) There's still so much to do. We're not finished by a long shot. In fact, we are only getting started. God's people, they had done a lot, but they still had lots to do. But Joshua, he's now old, he's advanced in years, he is much more limited than what he once was. We might say he's, he's just not the man he used to be. He will no longer be the one to take the lead in, in battles and fighting. But look down and see what God says in the second part of verse 6. I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel. I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel. Joshua's limitations are met with God's promise. The emphasis here is on the I. I myself, God is the one who will drive them out. God is the one who will conquer the land that is still to be conquered. In chapter 12, God has just reminded and assured his people of all that he has done. So he says, I have driven them out. And now he's reminding Joshua again, I will drive them out. God is going to do this. And Joshua is to do what he is able to do. And God tells him what that is. He says, Only allot the land to Israel 
as an inheritance as I have commanded you. Verse 7, Now therefore divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh. So God has promised what he is going to do. Joshua is to do what he is able to do within his own limitations. Joshua has to be realistic about his own limitations and he has to focus on God's promise and God's power to fulfil that promise. And of course each of us have our own limits. Some of us may be limited by age and and physical ability, again, just not able to do the things that that you used to be able to do. Some of us perhaps are are limited by time, that there are more things we we think we would love to be able to do for God, but time just simply doesn't allow us through work pressure or, or family life or whatever else. Or perhaps there, there are other things we would love to be able to do for God, but, but, but we're limited and, and, and even frustrated by just our own lack of ability or skill. And you know, at times we can even fret and, and panic a bit and fear. If, if I'm not able to do this, what's going to happen? Is, is this going to fall apart? Or even if, if I wasn't here, what would happen? We all have, have limitations individually. And uh, as a local church, we all have, we have limitations together. At the moment, we have fairly small membership. We have limited finances and resources. We, we, we don't have big programs. And we might think, how do we as a small membership achieve the things that larger memberships are able to do? But we don't. And we don't try. Again, we, we, we can sometimes fret and, and panic and we think, well, if we're not able to be doing this, that and the other thing that perhaps somewhere else is doing, well, how, how is this ever going to work out? How is God's work ever going to be accomplished? We've got to be realistic about our limitations. I think sometimes we give ourselves too much credit. And although we we might not say it, sometimes we often think and act like God's work is actually largely dependent upon us. And the point we need to see from Joshua this morning, and I believe we, we really need to take away, is that our human limitations do not restrict or confine the work that God is doing. Our human limitations, whatever they may be, they do not restrict or confine the work that God is doing. Yes, we need to be realistic about our limitations, and we need to bring then our focus again to God's promise of what he is doing in this world, and also God's power to accomplish what he has promised to do. God's promise. Secondly, this morning, let's think about God's warning in verses 8 to 13. Now, the rest of chapter 13 focuses on land given to God's people 
on the east of Jordan. This is land that is kept for the half-tribe of Manasseh, the Reubenites and the Gadites. The promised land was west of the Jordan. And you can read about how these two and a half tribes came to receive land on the east of Jordan. You can read about that in Numbers 32. Um, But these tribes had requested this land and asked that they wouldn't have to cross the Jordan. But it was agreed with Moses that they would be given the land, but they would have to cross the Jordan and help the rest of God's people to take the land that God had promised them. And when this was done, they could then return to the east side and settle in the land that God had given them. And it's important we have this section because it reminds us of how gracious God is in granting their request. And it reminds us too that they are still one with God's people. And so verses 8 to 12, they sketch out for us the broad boundaries of land for God's people on the east side. Then verses 14 to 31, they they simply outline more details of those boundaries, regions and cities given to those two and a half tribes. So the half tribe of Manasseh, the Reubenites and the Garites. And overall, this, this section, it is a big, big encouragement. And that's our final point. We're going to come to think about that. But there is a warning here. Let's look at verse 13. Now, we've just had an overview of all the places that God's people had taken, where God had given them. But then we read verse 13. Yet, the people of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Machathites, but Geshur and Machath dwell in the midst of Israel to this day. So God's people, they had gone so far... They had conquered cities and kings and territories. But they just didn't have the perseverance to keep going and see it through to the end. Listen to what Dale Ralph Davis says. He says, It is one thing to invade and conquer a territory. It was another to persevere over a period of time to occupy the whole territory allotted to a tribe. There's a warning here for God's people to continue to persevere in what God has given them to do day by day. To be obedient and and faithful in what we might call the smaller things over the long haul. And the same challenge comes to us this morning. Will we continue to persevere in what God has given us to do day by day to be obedient and faithful in what we may deem the smaller things over the long haul? I think often, actually, we we are better at proving faithful to God in, in the bigger things. Perhaps the, the, the times of crisis. And maybe that's because in those times we know we don't have any other option. 
And although we may prove faithful in those bigger times, it, it seems that we often lack the, the ability or even the determination to prove faithful in day-to-day Christian living, just in our interactions in the home, in our attitudes and manner, in the workplace or wherever we find ourselves. And often this can be true too in our life together as the local church. Often we are better at proving faithful to God in the, in the bigger things, again perhaps in the, in the times of crisis or perhaps in big organised events. But what I want to ask us this morning is, do we have the patience and determination to be faithful in day-to-day Christian living together. In your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2 for a moment. Um, Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. Here we, we, we get a picture of the church's daily life together. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Read these few verses together. And they, that is the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we see the church met together, they studied God's word, they shared the Lord's Supper, they shared fellowship in homes, and they provided for each other where there were needs. No big strategies, no huge resources, no vast and varied programs, but they met together, they studied God's word, they prayed, they shared fellowship, and as they did this, the Lord added to their number. Do you know, with the new year, we often have big expectations. Um, I, I simply don't make New Year's resolutions anymore. I, I have some desire for fitness till about the 3rd of January, which is now past. Um, but the, the reason I don't make New Year's resolutions is because a new year comes and... <laughs> In reality, we're going to do the same things all over again, aren't we? But you know, I believe as we begin a new year and we go into doing all the same things all over again, I believe it's there that we're called to be faithful to the Lord in day-to-day Christian living. And for the church, for us together, what does that look like? It means being faithful and persevering, doing the same things all over again. And so I want to encourage you this morning to be faithful in doing the same things 
all over again. Be faithful to meet together, just like this, around God's word and the Lord's table. Be faithful to meet together to pray in those times that we have assigned together. Be faithful in prioritizing each other, perhaps having each other in your homes and providing for each other where there is need. Let's persevere in doing the same things and continue looking to God's promise and power to do what he will do. Finally then, God's encouragement. Verses 15 to 32. So as I said, we we, we have um, more details of of the boundaries, the regions and cities. These place names probably don't mean a lot to us. But we've got to appreciate that for those receiving this inheritance, they are going to be hanging on every word spoken as they hear what they are being given. And of course it was going to be very important for them to know the actual boundaries of, of their land. Now these verses are recapping what has already been given to those two and a half tribes from Moses. And every single place mentioned is encouragement to God's people to persevere. Why? Because God is faithful. He will fulfill what he has promised. Each tribe will receive their inheritance. It's interesting there that Balaam is mentioned in verse 22. And Balaam, the son of Beor, the one who practiced divination, was killed with the sword by the people of Israel among the rest of their slain. Again, you can go to Numbers 23 and 24 and read the whole story of Balaam. But but, but briefly, God's people were in the region of of Moab. And Balak, the king of Moab, he was beginning to feel insecure and frightened because God's people were so many. And so he called for Balaam to come and bring a curse on God's people. But God said to Balaam, you can't do that because my people are blessed. In fact, God has blessed them. My people are blessed. It's worth reading you've that scenario with, with the talking donkey but, but Balaam comes to, to Balak and four times he is asked to curse God's people but four times he brings blessing on God's people and in the third blessing Balaam says blessed are those who bless you and cursed are those who curse you which of course is words that remind us from God's original promise to Abraham. Now, Balaam was no example of godly living because his intentions were all wrong. In fact, when you read the story, the donkey was a better example of godly living than Balaam. But I believe Balaam is mentioned in Joshua 13 and it acts as further reminder and greater emphasis that what God has said he will do and simply nothing can stop that. God's people are blessed, they cannot be cursed. Now, as further encouragement, and as we close this morning, I want to draw us to the tribe of, of Levi. They're mentioned in verse 14 
and also verse 33. First of all, look at verse 14. To the tribe of Levi, God, um, to the tribe of Levi alone, God gave no inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord, God of Israel, are their inheritance. Again, you can go to Numbers 3 and 4 um, to read more details about Levi's inheritance. But the Levites were not given land like um, the other tribes. And as they ministered for God, they would be provided for through the offerings of God's people. Although you will see in the following weeks, they were given cities. But then if we look over to verse 33, we read, The tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. The Lord God is their inheritance, just as he said to them. And it's important for all of God's people to hear this, both then and now. It's important for all of God's people to adopt this perspective. That their greatest inheritance, in spite of all the land that these people were being given, their greatest inheritance is the Lord himself. The psalmist reminds us this in different times. But you read in Psalm 16, we read, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, in the Lord, I have a beautiful inheritance. It goes on, You have known made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. You see the emphasis on God himself over and above what God may give us. Further, Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion. That's that word that we thought about at the beginning. My portion or my inheritance forever. You see, when we grasp that the Lord himself is greater than anything we can be given now, and actually that our future inheritance is more of him, That brings a deep contentment for living now and it gives us great encouragement to continue persevering now in faithful obedience. We read in Revelation 21, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. See, our great future inheritance is more of the Lord himself. Him dwelling with us and us with him. And as God's people in Joshua, they could rightfully claim the land. So we can rightfully claim that new Jerusalem. 
As God's people, we can rightfully claim a place in God's land with God's presence and blessing. And of course, we do not claim this on our own as we sang in our first song. But we claim this through faith in Jesus Christ. We claim his righteousness. We claim his sacrifice for sin in our place on the cross. And we claim his victorious resurrection. And to him be glory. Let us pray together. Our Father and our God, we we thank you for all that is ours in Christ. And most of all, for that mysterious union that we are united to him and so given you, given relationship with Father, Son and Holy Spirit eternally. Our God, we thank you for your promise again to us this morning. We thank you for your promise to complete that work within us. We thank you for your promise to bring all those who are yours to yourself. And we thank you that your power is more than able to accomplish your great, great purposes. And so, Father, this morning, may we rest in who you are. May we rest in your promises, in your power. May we rest knowing that you are faithful. May we not fret or panic or fear about our own limitations, but know who you are. Trust in you to do what you will do and simply do what we are able to do. And Father, may we just carefully consider that that warning to us this morning. May we not grow weary of doing the same things with each other again and again, of meeting together like this, of sharing in the Lord's table, of praying together, of enjoying fellowship even outside of here. And Lord, we thank you for your encouragement to us. Father, we thank you um, for relationship with you. We thank you the greatest thing that you have given us is yourself. And God, we long to pray with greater sincerity with the psalmist that there is nothing on this earth that we desire besides you. And Father, we know that the more we pray that with sincerity, the more deeply content we will be in living now. The more encouraged we will be day by day. The greater motivation we will we will have to persevere as we know in the end will be more of you, you with us and us with you. Dwelling in your presence, in your glory, in your splendor. And God, we're amazed again that we have that right because of all that Christ has done for us. And so as we come to your table just now, Father, give us thankful hearts. May we come in awe and wonder of all that you have done for us in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen.